People want to believe. We tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it just isn't easy to understand? This is No God. You're listening to the No God Podcast. I am Micah, and I'm here today with my mom and dad, Sandy and Tony. Hey, Micah. Hi, Micah. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, doing real well. What do we have to talk about today? Well, we want to talk about just that intimacy with God. Um, Sometimes we call it closeness. Sometimes we call it whatever, feeling close to God, but intimacy with God and we're, we anticipate this is a two-part podcast, and so this first part is going to uh, introduce us to just how it feels individually, and that kind of focus as an individual child of God. The second part, we will then talk a whole lot more about that uh, collective intimacy of believers as a family of God to God, rather than just as individuals. And so... Um, this has had a lot of different descriptions in, in through the centuries, but that's going to be our focus today. It's like private disciplines versus collective or, or corporate disciplines. But we want to do that with uh, really having a little more awareness of the Book of Acts and that early church experience and how they were practicing it because they don't define it a lot. They just do it. And so we'll t- look at a few of those passages and think about the impact for us as a model and All also right. just to, to know our heritage, know where we're going. Sounds good. Yeah. So we're ready to jump in on that. Um, I've asked Sandy to be ready to read, and I thought it'd be great for us to kind of roll in a little bit because the book of Acts was written by Luke, as well as the gospel of Luke is written by Luke. And so in some ways, uh, those two things are volume one, volume two, that's Luke wrote to a person called Theophilus um, telling him about all things that Jesus did and and said, and then how the church grew out of that. And so in that very last chapter of the book of Luke, we have Jesus already having died on the cross. He's already come back from the dead, and he's appearing to his disciples from time to time before he ascends into heaven. And so uh, Sandy's going to help us on that, and I want uh, to just kind of draw some observations from that for us personally, what that means. Okay. So there is a passage in Luke chapter 24, Starting at verse 13, it's the road to Emmaus story. Okay. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Like I said, it's kind of hard to separate um, what we're doing just individually with what we might be doing with another person and talking to Jesus. But here there are two disciples um, who knew Jesus from the past, probably not necessarily the inner inner circle, but they knew Jesus and Jesus was walking with them, met them on the road to Emmaus. Of course, he, they thought he was dead and not resurrected. Well, they knew that the, some women had said something about it, but they weren't sure if they could believe him. Rumors. Rumors. <laughs> and so Jesus is just walking with them and listening to them. And so when I, when that's kind of like the first observation to gather for us personally is that Jesus is just going to come into our daily routine, our daily experience, and he is going to enter in and we don't even know it's him. Now, that's sometimes not the answer people want to hear because they want to know this kind of, 
you know, uh, when we think of intimacy, um, we want it to be very specific. But this is specific, yet at the same time, Jesus enters into this conversation anonymously, or at least unidentified. I would suggest that the first thing that we should assume about our personal intimacy with uh, Jesus as the Son of God is that we most of the time won't even realize it has started. Hmm. Never thought about that before. So let's keep moving from that event. They notice that Jesus then, what does Jesus do? He does something every day, takes a meal, but does something to identify himself to them. And they finally get it. Oh, this is a what we nowadays, or at least I've heard popularly called, this is a God moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't call it that, but that's what it was. And so I think that's a fair way for people to describe that personal intimacy with God is that, oh, that was a God moment. And you know what? From the outside, as another individual, I can't judge that about them. That's how they're defining that for themselves. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. And then noticed it it did connect strongly with, they said, man, our hearts were burning with us as he, um, opened the scriptures. Now, obviously we have to open our own Bible app or open our own Bible or recall a memorized Bible passage, but the anticipation, the expectation would be that in unexpected moments, Jesus is going to open our minds to the truth that he's already given. And that's what he did with these two disciples. So I think that that even though I do practice myself a very fairly um, regular routine of quiet time with God, that in everyday life, this is kind of like that every moment of every day, we can experience Jesus as the Son of God because of the Road to Emmaus event tells us that this is one of the ways that he interacts with people and they have a new, uh, a new awakening in their journey with him. That's the road to Emmaus. Then in that same chapter of Luke, but now that's happened. Some more appearances of Jesus have happened. And now Jesus is leaving the earth as resurrected after the dead. And he's going to go up, disappear in behind some clouds. And we call that the ascension. And he is going to come back. That's the message that the angels gave the disciples. But um, saying, if you'd read that, right, it's the last couple of verses of that Luke chapter Chapter 24. 24. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So I want to point out that for some um, church leaders and maybe just other people, I know for me, there was, there've been times that in my early development of understanding this intimacy with God, that I wanted to make a lot of distinctions between, no, you don't pray to Jesus, you pray to God, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And there, there is kind of a depth to all of that. But this passage, what do they do when Jesus goes up into heaven? It says they worshiped him, which worship, by the way, in the Greek is a basic word that is to bend the knee. In other words, it's like what Catholics do with genuflection, Mm. or it's like what a believer would do to do a quick down to the knee, bow and back up, or even stay down on the knees. 
But the point is that somehow in that moment, as Luke was recording what those people did, which Luke wasn't an eyewitness observer that he heard this from someone else that was there, they described that as when Jesus went up into the heaven, they decided he's God. We worship him as God. I might just say that because we don't have time in this podcast, we're not going to take the time to point out every time, but, but there are times that people worship God in the God generic sense. We tend to think that's the father. Uh, we do specifically pray to the father and worship the father God. We then pray to Jesus and worship Jesus as the son of God. And we are even encouraged to pray to the Holy Spirit and we worship the Holy Spirit as God. And that seems one, not very much monotheistic, that is we have <laughs> one God, but that is the incredibleness. I mean, that is the mystery of the, what we call, what the Bible calls Godhead, what has popularly been termed theologically as the Trinity. And we realize that I think this varies. And again, I guess what I'm thinking that when we think about personal intimacy with God, we need to relax a little bit mm-hmm. and we need to realize that at times it's going to feel like it's Jesus reaching out to us. It's times it's going to feel like a father grabbing hold of us and hugging us or affirming us. And there's going to be times when it's like this power of encouragement and this power of confidence that comes that would be more of the work of the Holy Spirit in the sense of what the Bible defines it. And I would just say, it doesn't have to be one and only. It's not like, well, Jesus is Jesus, the son of God. That's who I'm always in touch with, you know? It is, I think this varies on life circumstances, and I think it varies maybe in, in life stages, that the, the, the father or the son or this spirit is what um, I sense or that I, I strongly identify with and feel drawn to. No, I, that's my experience, too. That's happened for me. I just want to kind of validate that experience of people and kind of just say, it's all three. It is not, it doesn't, it isn't just one or the other. There's no pureness in always saying our father, you know, cause I mean, Jesus taught the Lord's prayer, start with our father. And so if we pray to anybody except our father, God, then we're not doing what Jesus said. No, that was just one model, a great model for his disciples uh, but there are times that we see here they worship Jesus. And so we want, we, have, we want to cover a little bit more in this podcast than just this. But I'm trying to set the stage of Jesus is interacting with his disciples. And all of a sudden, he is totally affirmed and embraced as the Son of God, right. worthy of worship, worthy of talking to in prayer, and worthy of following. All those things that would have only been given to uh, Yahweh God in the Old Testament. Uh, times. Hmm. So I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Luke ends his gospel, and then we are you know in church history. Then uh, some great leaders of the church in the second and third centuries decided that as they started publishing the writings of the New Testament together, they decided to put the Gospel of John in between Luke and Acts, and so that sometimes disconnects us from that this very story of Luke then immediately is followed by the next one in the book of Acts. The book of John is not in between those two parts of the story. That is too bad. (laughs) (laughs) 
But who am I to critique the early church fathers? (laughs) The truth is there is no sacredness to the, well, I don't know, maybe I get in trouble. I mean, I might be misunderstood, but the early church shared these documents and they began to be collated into a group and then they were accepted as a group. And it's easy there, maybe it's easier to learn the books of the Bible because they're always in the same order, but it doesn't, it, it confuses us sometimes. It doesn't mean it's chronologically right. in the same order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the, I might just say that the gospel of John is a great gospel to read to have this personal intimacy with Jesus. So I don't want to like say John shouldn't be right there. It's just that chronologically we lose that momentum of going from they saw him go up into the heavens, they worship him, and what do they do? They stayed continually at the temple praising God. This is more of a collective experience, which we'll talk a little bit more in the next podcast. But they are doing that, and that's what they're doing for 50 days until the day of Pentecost. And we move into Acts chapter 1. And that's where Acts starts. And that's where Acts starts. And actually, there's an overlap of even the narrative of the first couple paragraphs of Acts to the last couple paragraphs of Luke. So that's like the previously on... Yes, previously previously from Luke. Because <laughs> he even starts with, in my previous letter, yeah. O Theophilus. Mm-hmm. So yes. Wow. And that is weird that they separated them. Uh, they wanted the four Gospels first and... Yeah, but they could have put John before Luke. Oops, I'm getting... I know. And... We have centuries of <laughs> a lot of debate about that. I I don't know why they... Mom would I, like to speak to the manager of the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there it is. That moves us into this next narrative. And so verse 14, which I asked Sandy to read, is they're just gathered. They have not... Uh, they're not done with their 50 days of waiting. And of course, they didn't know they were waiting for 50 days. That's just that's the number that it ended up being because it hit the day of Pentecost. So they were self-isolating for 50 days? They were. Hey, that is a great way to think about it. They were isolating, self-isolate. Well, they, but they didn't do, I don't know. I'm just guessing that if they had 120 people in that upper room, they weren't six foot social distancing. Just no. guessing. No. I don't think there were that many upper rooms <laughs> that big. Do the square footage. Six feet, 120 people. No, not going to happen. Anyway, we digress a little bit, but we're having some fun. <laughs> Um, Acts chapter one then moves us to this moment in the upper room when they're still waiting, but what are they doing while they're waiting? Not sure what to do next. Cause this kind of sounds like an intimacy thing with God. God, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do next. And aren't you talking to me and this kind of thing. And so what are they doing? And Sandy, you're just going to read that verse 14 for us. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Right. So some people, so Mary gets special notice and his brothers get special notice. Um, but they're doing something collectively waiting. They're all joined together constantly in prayer. And in the book of Acts, that is like the, it's like the touchstone of, of what people are doing to remain in contact with God is prayer. And then we know that's a huge topic. But still, when we think about what else should I be doing, should I be fasting? And they do some fasting, but it's always prayer. It's prayer and something or just prayer. And so to me, that's like, 
I love it when I talk to people and they say, man, the only thing I can do is pray, which I say, well, great. That's what that's what all Christians have always done. That's the, the first thing to do. And they should never feel like that is uh, less, last resort. Yeah, last resort it is always the first and the last. It is it. So anyway, it's a good thing. So that's a simple point. Um, and then just so we're not telling all of the stories in between, just simply into that next chapter we have, then the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples. They are preaching the, the message that what it meant that Jesus came and died and rose again, demonstrating that he was the Son of God. And so then the first um, 5,000 people numbered in Acts chapter 2 have put their faith in Jesus and have been baptized, actually, it tells us. And so immediately after that, then, we find a focus of their way that they are living out their intimacy with God. And that's in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. There's more to it, but 42 is really kind of the summary of it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So if you want to be closer to God, then the sequence of this, I don't know if the order matters that much. But let's just say, in case it does matter, I might just point out that they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, which eventually comes to us as the New Testament, mm -hmm. which, listen to my previous podcast about my opinion about focusing on the words of the apostles first, and then use the other scriptures to help you understand more about that, rather than starting in the Old Testament, not the words of the apostles. You know, that's not the words of the apostles. It's still the word of God, but the early church... We need to know this new thing, the words of the apostles. And then they were focused on fellowship, which we'll talk about in the next episode, more so. Breaking of bread, which is apparently a phrase for the communal meal that they shared, including the, the commemoration of the Lord's Supper. And then there it is. Prayer. Prayer. So that's what they were doing to draw closer to God. And, and it was just kind of an amazing experience. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I'm just going to read that real quickly because it gives a summary then of this new group of people that are having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. This again reflects more of the collectiveness, but this was part of their everyday life experience. And coming out of this new relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and therefore also a continuing relationship with Jesus, they begin to, to reach out to take care of each other is really what's happening. So I think that's a, it's like a, it's like a line drawn in our weekly life. I may, and I, I think weekly is a fair way to measure it, that if I haven't considered the needs of someone else have done something about their needs in some way or another that I don't consider that my new faith and uh, energy and growth that I'm getting from God is something that, Oh man, I've just got to, I've just got to keep it in me. If I'm not thinking to pass it out to others, then I'm probably really missing something mm -hmm. at that point. I know we tend to, when we get challenged with, uh, life and we withdraw or isolate, we are not doing anything that the early church did. And so sometimes people say, well, I, did, I just got to get myself right with God. 
And so I just don't have time for people. I've got to focus. And I understand why that is said, but it is not going to solve the problems. It's, it has to be something that um, is modeled after this early church experience. And the early church was about relying on each other to keep moving forward in this relationship. I really thought it'd be kind of easy. Well, I, I wondered if it would be easy to find a number of passages in the book of Acts, the early experience of the church, that would be like a person having this special moment with God. But it really is more like it's almost always a group yeah. that's described. That's true. I'd... Now, there's, a, there's one big one that's implied that we'll get to here in a moment. But um, we'll talk Paul? about Paul. Yeah. But before we get to Paul, well, I don't know. We could get to... Um, yeah, in fact, let's just jump into that. Okay. Yeah, let's do that now. Okay, uh, quick summary. The, the guy named Saul, who eventually got a new name called Paul, he, we know him as the Apostle Paul, wrote a lot of the epistles, the letters in the New Testament. He was a well-trained Jewish rabbi and a Pharisee. He trained under the, one of the top two leading uh, scholars of the Torah, the Old Testament. And Paul was... T- totally versed in that and he realized that the that people were saying that Jesus was the Messiah fulfilled of the the Old Testament prophecies and he did not believe that was correct and so he was persecuting the church and led that and even left from Jerusalem to go to another city to Damascus and on that road he had this experience where Jesus personally uh, appeared to him, um, caused his horse to rear back or somehow struck Paul down to the ground. I keep saying Paul, but at that time he's still called Saul. And then Saul, uh, Jesus calls out to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, uh, Saul goes, um, who are you, Lord? <laughs> and then jesus again this is a one-on-one jesus to paul because even his companions they knew something was going on they saw the bright light they heard the sound but they didn't distinguish it as language they thought it was thundering but what they thought was thunder was the voice of jesus speaking audibly to saul and he basically told Saul, then you need to go on into Damascus, go to this guy's house, Ananias, and wait. Or not to wait, but to Simon the Tanner, then wait. And so that's what he did. And so this personal experience is one that you can see portrayed in a lot of Bible type uh, narrative stories and stuff and videos. Um, was Paul's kind of come to Jesus moment, <laughs> if we want to use a popular term right now. And so sometimes we talk about that person needs a come to Jesus moment, but honestly, that's a little presumptuous. That's not as often the experience. No, that's not often well, the Jesus experience. Jesus came to him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or maybe Jesus was waiting at that spot, and there's, as soon as Saul's there, he kind of comes to Jesus. I'm sorry. We're, oh okay, let's... Yeah. What I'm, but that's not typical. No, it's not typical, but it is, it's not typical in the sense of 
how massive that experience was and also that people around him knew something was happening. They just didn't know. They just didn't see the actual thing. And that was a, I believe, probably a unique experience that that Jesus, in order to keep the church moving the right direction and because of his call on the apostle Paul, that he had that road to Damascus visible experience. I don't think that happens that often, but I don't, but I think it could still happen to people. I don't, you know, everybody wants a, well, I don't know if everybody wants that big of an experience, but everybody wants a very definitive experience of conversion. Mm -hmm. I might just point out that actually it wasn't a conversion experience. It was a truly come to Jesus moment where uh, you go into town three days later, I'm going to tell you what to do to actually follow me. And then that's when the Ananias came to him and said, Ananias, the Lord sent me, the one that appeared to you on the road. And he told me to tell you that um, you need to repent and be baptized to have your sins forgiven. And so uh, Saul's, the, the blindness in his eyes came from the light or something, or it, that went away, scales like, something like scales fell off his eyes. And then he was baptized. And then he was immediately like all of a sudden, piecing together that, oh, this is what the prophet Isaiah meant. And this is, I mean, we don't get, a, we don't get any detail about that, but he immediately in Damascus then, he had gone there to, to apprehend Christians, to jail them and to take some of them back to Jerusalem for trial. And he all of a sudden is then in the city preaching that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God and the Messiah. And just they like had that. To get him out of there. And then. they had to get him out of there because then all of a sudden the leading, the leaders of the Jewish uh, people all of a sudden realized, I don't know what's happened, but Paul's gone off the rails or Saul has gone off the rails and we got to capture him and, you know, do something. And so he was actually secretly let down through a, in a basket with a rope on the outside of the city wall because they were guarding the gates to apprehend him when he left the city. Did people just keep human-sized baskets around back then? Because I think that happens at other times. Or they hide people in baskets. <laughs> you know, I uh, you you well, see this. Think about our trash bins and our big drums of stuff. Right. Okay. People would okay. fit in that. Okay, I'll back off. Back. <laughs> okay, fifty-five gallon trash basket. Just lower him down through the trash basket. You know, we like to think of something more cushy and a little more nice, but. It was a green. It smells like fish. <laughs> smells like or worse than fish. Okay, let's move on. So then Saul then goes a short amount of time, goes back to Jerusalem, and that doesn't really go well either because the disciples are going, oh, this guy was going around they killing They were afraid of him. Yeah, and so Barnabas, who is a great encourager, he was the one that was, it was a great model of generosity to the poor, to those that were starving. And so Barnabas comes alongside of Saul, somehow, you know, knows and, and, and gets, you know, gets that, becomes an ally of Saul and says, hey, you know, so they, so he, he brought Saul to the, the apostles, the 12. And they have a brief meeting. This is, we don't know this from the book of Acts per se. We know it from the book of Galatians as it's retold. And so that happens, but it doesn't really, he doesn't really join their group and they don't really welcome him. I mean, they say, oh, isn't this wonderful? The guy used to kill people is now not killing us. Great. That's a one problem solved kind of thing, but not so much the future. Right. They didn't really see this as something important for the future. And so what happens then is, and we don't, again, we don't know this from Acts. 
we know it from Galatians and it's alluded to in the first chapter and the second chapter of Galatians. But then, and also the chronology is that basically Saul disappears for about 10 years. After that. In the, in the span of a chapter and a half in the book of Acts, he disappears and probably, I mean, he goes back to Tarsus, his home city. Mm-hmm. And then also he talks about a, a, a spell when he went into Arabia, which would be anywhere uh, east of Damascus. Okay, the, the Arabian Peninsula, meaning just anywhere in there would be Arabia. Right. So just that big peninsula. And so somewhere in this 10 years, he does that for a while and 14 days or something. He gets some revelations from Jesus. And then he goes back to Tarsus and he's probably just making tents. And because we don't even have any record of a church being started by him. He is called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus specifically told him that I'm going to send you to the Gentiles on the road to Damascus. He told him that. And he has to cool his heels for 10 years. Now, what does this have to do with spiritual intimacy? We can only read into it that if Jesus was giving him personal revelations about understanding, probably understanding the intricacies of the prophecies and the fulfillment in Jesus and what it would mean, because he did tell, because Ananias told Paul, and I'm, and Jesus is going to tell you what you're going to have to suffer for him to accomplish his calling. And so there's this period of isolation uh, you know, probably not total social isolation, but he's he's outside of the circle of any strategy of planting the church and sharing the gospel. Hmm. And that's then when we pick up Acts chapter 13, which I asked Sandy to read, because we have, well, Paul's persecution then scattered people. People scattered. They were only telling the gospel to other Jews everywhere they went to the cities that they were going, because there were Jews in every city of the Roman, nearly every city of the Roman Empire. But some of them went to Antioch of Pisidia, which is north of Damascus. So think of that, that place where the Mediterranean, the east end of the Mediterranean Sea has Lebanon and Syria, and on the north side of it has Turkey nowadays. And that area, just inland on what nowadays would be Lebanon, Syria, was the old, was the city of Antioch. And it was called Antioch of Pisidia because it was another better known Antioch in another part of the Roman Empire. And actually the Antioch of Pisidia was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Now, again, who knew that? It's like the Chicago of the United States. Okay, it is. It's inland on a waterway. It's not a coastal city. And it is the largest city and it's a total melting pot of of nationalities, of races, and for that matter, of religions. Mm -hmm. And so some who went to Antioch were the first ones that as a strategy and as a no, no barriers were talking to Gentiles that they could follow Jesus. And so that church from the get go is already integrated of Jewish people and all different kinds of non-Jewish people in the, in the leadership And so this passage that I've asked Sandy to read gives us a list of leaders who are obviously various groups, people groups, as well as what they're doing. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, one small thing I missed was that back in Acts 11, mm -hmm. <clears throat> we get introduced to that Antioch church. And Barnabas goes, man, this is, this is, we need help. I mean, we need more teachers. And he goes, cha-ching. Oh, Saul, oh, well, he's still in Tarsus. What is it? You know, I think it's time for him to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> and so Barnabas actually went to Tarsus and got Saul and brought him back to Antioch. Huh. And, you know, so you think about even with Barnabas, if Barnabas hadn't gone to get Saul, when would Saul have ever engaged yeah. back into the work? We think of Saul as this dynamic, strategic, high initiative person. But if it wasn't for Barnabas, well, first introducing him to the apostles in Jerusalem and then taking initiative 10 years later to go get him from Tarsus and say, you know what? And we don't have any of this commentary in the right. Bible. I'm just adding this. What was Barnabas thinking? I'm thinking he's, he's going, you know what? I think it's about time that Saul, I mean, maybe, and maybe the spirit, you know, because we have the spirit talking to these leaders mm -hmm. here, maybe the spirit moved Barnabas. It's time for Saul to get engaged in this work that I've called him to, which is to, to share the light to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. <laughs> So then what we see here is I'm, as we just kind of, I think, kind of come to a, maybe a landing spot on this podcast, I've got a couple more things to think about, but it's like um, the, per, the, the idea that I have my quiet time with Jesus and that's good is just not in the early book of Acts. Yeah. It is this relationship of, of intimacy with God that is always coming back to the group. Yeah, it's, it's always a group experience. I because this is very new information for me, but thinking like Paul has this calling, yeah, and he may never have engaged in it if it wasn't for Barnabas coming to find him, right? And so the you know what he's what God's preparing for him on his own or anything like that may never even come to be if there wasn't a community to pull him along into it, right? We see both ways. We see at times the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sometimes Jesus, actually specifically moving a person to do a certain thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we wait around for. That's the model that seems to appeal to us because it's very individual. Right. But. Because we're afraid we'll get it wrong sometimes yeah. too. You know, if but if, if, so just think about it as a follower of Christ. And I've kind of, talking bigger to our whole audience here. Think about it. If one of a fellow believer that you respect and that you know is a great person, loved, you know, cares for people like a Barnabas kind of encourager person, mm -hmm. knocks on your door, he says, hey, I'm coming, I, hey, I want to come by. Can I talk with you? And he said, well, you come, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> That's all, <laughs> but you know, in those days it was, Barnabas just hit the road and this was no short journey. Yeah. It, it was a number of days for him to go to Tarsus. And he just shows up and, and we don't know how that conversation went, but we do know what the result was. And that is that Barnabas and Saul walked back to Antioch of Pisidia and it became the great sending church of sharing the gospel with the Roman Empire. It was not the church in Jerusalem that did that. It was the Antioch of Pisidian church that did that. Hmm. Hmm. I never thought about that. Interesting. So... 
I, as I was kind of researching to think about this podcast, there are so many great resources out there. There's a, there's a guy by the name of Robert uh, Mulholland that has some great books about intimacy with God and intimacy with people. And then there are, I think, the Larry Crabb books, and he's written a number of them through the years. He has a new, a new one out just now I haven't seen yet, but I've seen a lot of excerpts out of it. And he's still just addressing this whole thing of it is never Jesus in me. It is always Jesus and me and you. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is never just that. And so this concept is there, but but this growth in walking with Jesus is always a journey. I mean, we, these pictures that we see, we see Paul, Saul going on a road. It's a journey. And then he has this experience with Jesus. He goes on into Damascus and then he travels back to Jerusalem with his companions. But then it's not until Barnabas comes along with him that that journey can be completed as just an introduction to the the other apostles. And then we, Paul goes off the face of the book of Acts and then it's Barnabas making a journey to go get Saul to bring him back for what's next in his life. Because that passage that Sandy read was that they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. That statement would not have happened if Barnabas hadn't gone and got Saul. Mm-hmm. But still, it is very specific. And then after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so the, always there's that f- prayer. Fasting often yeah. enters into it. Well, it's not just, and then they left. It's the others sent them off. Mm-hmm. And there's this connection because they come back to that church. Because there's, in the in the book of Acts and in studying the book of Acts, uh, we discovered that there were three identi- you know, three clear journeys that that Paul made. Barnabas and he made one of them together. The other two, uh, Paul made with uh, Silas and Luke. Right. And eventually Timothy also kind of on his team and other people. And so there's three journeys and they all start. They always start at Antioch. They mm-hmm. don't start in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that kind of is a bigger picture, maybe a different podcast later in the time. But when we think about the journey, we have to think about our journey with Jesus is always moving us moving us into relationship with other people while we stay close relationship with him. I guess really when I come to the, when I come to what I feel like needs to be emphasized in a podcast like this is there is no such thing as just intimacy with God and no intimacy with other believers. It is incomplete and just, it's just, it does not have the outcome. It doesn't produce the fruit that the Lord would intend. And so it's going to be, well, it's going to be weird, like some of the uh, ascetics of the third, fourth, and fifth centuries of Christianity, mm-hmm. where they did all kinds of bizarre things because they were thinking in terms of this is just about me, my sin problems, and Jesus helping me with my sin problems. And so they did things like bury themselves in the sand. Of course, you can't, I, I mean, they always had to have someone help them do these things, which is always weird to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, in other words, I'm going to quit sinning by burying myself in the sand because then I can't sin because I can't go anywhere. Well, you know, <laughs> and then there's the famous, infamous Simon Stylides, who sat on a pole that was 30 feet tall and lived on that pole for in the neighborhood of 40 years. And how big was the platform he was it on? It was about, it was less than six foot in diameter. And so he sat up there and just sat. 
communing with Jesus and not sinning because he was there and couldn't go anywhere to do any sins. But people yeah, were people bringing him feed. People him. would, you know, the, the, the rope and pulley, lifting himself up. But he also didn't eat much. I mean, it was, it was pretty little. Uh, you know, so they wouldn't have had to take care of him a lot. But still, there's a, there's a maintenance thing you there. You didn't want to walk under the poles. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're not eating much, you're not uh, excreting much. <laughs> If you want to go there, <laughs> I don't know. I is think this how this podcast <laughs> ends? <laughs> no, we no. You know what it is because it's like that's a that is a uh, uh, I don't want to say oppressive. It is like ooh, that's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. I I I think we should pause for a moment and realize if this is just about me and Jesus, it's ugly. Right. It literally is ugly. Yeah, well, we know of, you know, times when people have just isolated at home and they didn't, they were doing it alone with them and Jesus. And they usually have some kind of big meltdown, meltdown or something, Mm -hmm. you know. So we have, I mean, even in a time of like, you know, because during this podcast, we are still, uh, still in the realm for a lot of people in the nation of some levels of isolation, some levels of caution about interacting with people uh, from the COVID-19 uh, quarantine and, and isolation event and that, that pandemic. And so we have technologies to stay connected. And also then there are people who um, are making choices. I'm not going to say that this is what everybody should do, but they're making choices strategically of the fellow believer believers that they are still going to have face-to-face contact with. Right. Um, and again, I, there's no way I can tell anybody else what that looks like for them. But as Sandy was alluding to, total isolation is never ends in a good place for anybody. Mm-hmm. Even if a person can cope with it, so to speak, mm-hmm. they really are not a person that is uh, going to influence a lot of people without some way of connecting with people. Now we live in an era with digital electronic communications, even in the eras of the past centuries, people would connect even by this letter writing. We don't realize how intimate and connecting a letter can be, but many people stayed connected that way. And so I would just say that uh, I can accept the fact that somebody might be actually physically isolated for a long time, although you still have to come up with food and water somehow. But the important thing is to realize I need to connect with other people in order to fulfill and to bring to completion, to full fruitfulness, my connection with God. If, I'm, if I am not taking that connecting step with people, and so that's what we will discuss in our next podcast. If you have any questions, just email us at nogod at tonykafka.com. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D at T-O-N-Y-K-A-F-K-A dot com.